you are listening to WMUC-FM, College Park, where College Radio is good radio. Tonight, you're listening to Meet Your Neighbor with your host, Madeline. Tonight, I have a very special guest, my roommate, Audrey Bartholomew. Say hello, Audrey. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. It's been a very long time since we've been able to put Meet Your Neighbor on air, but I'm very, very happy to be back. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Audrey. Do it. As you know, as our guests, listeners may not know, Meet Your Neighbor is a show where we talk about UMD students, what they're like, who they are, and we get to the root of the person. So to start things off, give, a, give us the spark note summary of your life. My life? Okay. All life. Right. Well, yeah. So I grew up in Baltimore County. Um, I'm an only child. I don't have siblings, which makes life a little bit more interesting. Obviously, like I live with you. So, um, you know, I'm a pretty generally quiet when I'm not screaming and running around the house. Um, and, you know, I love reading. Um, I, I'm a writer by by choice and I, I love it. It's my preferred method of art. It's the way that like, you know, I express myself and it's been the most important thing in my life. Um, i trying to think what else is important. Um, I'm very close with my dad. Um, he's my best friend in the world and there is nobody on this earth that I respect more than my father. Um, let me think what else is important too. Do you have any like supplementary questions? Like I'm trying to think of what's important, but it's kind of difficult to condense like 19 years of your life into two sentences. What do you write? Um, I write poetry mostly. And I also like um, lyric essays. So that's kind of like the essay love child between a poem and just a regular essay. So is publishing original poetry, is that your goal? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'd like to get a stable job out of college first. That's like my big goal, but you know, if I could have any job in the world, I would write until my heart's content. What brought you to Maryland, UMD? Well, um, I kind of, well, first I got rejected for my top school. So um, I wanted to go to Ohio State more than anything in the world. And I got rejected. And that was like crushing blow for me at like 17. And then I got into UMD, which is like kind of odd because like in theory, it should be more difficult for like in-state students to get in here. And it also has a higher, um, Ohio State has a higher acceptance rate than here. So it was a little bit bizarre when I got my acceptance letter, but above everything else, um, I've been to campus before. I think it's beautiful and you know, the price point doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, I'm not going to graduate in debt, which is like a big motivator for me to come here. And also it's like Maryland is a great state. We have good schools. College Park is great. I love the area. It's really fun. Yeah, what's your go-to thing to do on a weekend? Oh, I go thrifting all the time on the weekends. Or um, I also have a tendency to go on Facebook Marketplace and just scrounge around whatever free things that I want. <laughs> As you also know. Coolest thing you found on Facebook Marketplace? Definitely my amplifier. Um, should I like show it? Should I show it? Well, I, I don't know if it's show. We don't have a video portion. Okay, of um, but... It is an uh, amplifier that I found on a street corner in Bethesda when I was going to go buy free, not buy, I went to go collect free books and I put it in the truck of my car and I brought it back to my apartment and it is now like a central piece of our house, I think. And it's awesome. And my mom hates it. I've been using it ever since I got here. I've been here for like a day and she's like, we need to set some ground rules about the amplifier. It's a lot. You know, I can't have you listening to Freddie Mercury at 11 p.m. Like, you know, blaring it for the neighbors to hear. I was funny enough listening to Freddie Mercury and then a fire truck came into our court 
and they were like, they're coming for you. I was like, they're coming for you because you were listening to Freddie Mercury too loud, but it turned out they just had to turn around. But that's definitely the most interesting thing that I've gotten from Facebook Marketplace by, by far. Mm-hmm. I know I usually uh, don't know the guests on my show, but I can, I can contribute to this point specifically that <laughs> Facebook marketing um, or not Facebook, Facebook marketplace, like scrounging for things on there. It's the most entertaining thing you do. It's, I so, it's so literally many, so fun. So many, so many events that have taken place off that, like just chaos of finding. I'm things. telling you, dude, like one man's trash is truly another man's treasure. Like I like anything that I see that is free and interesting on Facebook marketplace. I get, I go, I'm like, there's no harm in doing that. I literally went to Arlington like two days ago and got like 10 books from this very, very expensive, wealthy high rise building in Arlington, Virginia. And the man came down and was wearing a full suit and gave me like the stack of books. And I was on my way. It was awesome. Great. That's what a mystery. What a mystery of a, a man, you know? So many, questions. so many questions. Why the suit? Like, why the suit? You know, is that... And it was like 8 p.m. too. So it's not like working hours. It's like you're wearing a full suit on a Wednesday in Arlington on a Wednesday night. Like, what is going on? What is the story? Right. <laughs> so many questions. Right. Now, coming back to your story, um, mm. you you're close with your dad. So... Yes what like bonds you to why is he your best friend it's funny because like he travels a lot for work so like when i was growing up he often wasn't there but i I just you know if you ever meet me and my dad like we are incredibly similar like in the way that we handle things emotionally and things that we bond over we love classic rock music it's something that brings us together um and he's like the funniest person i've ever met in my life i think all my humor stems directly from my father and he is just like he, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, we've always been best friends, even since growing up. He's always, you know, he doesn't raise me like a friend, but he's always been like the most important person in my life by far, 100%. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you regret from the past two decades of your life? Um, I try not to think that way because there's nothing that you can do once something has happened i think i've tried to operate in my life in the most moral way that i possibly can because i think that you know everything that you are is defined in the things that like you don't tell other people or the things that like you have to go to bed with at night because at the end of the day like nobody can take that away from me things in my life i have to come to terms with whether or not i like what i've done or not um i don't think i've explicitly done anything to hurt people in a way that keeps me up at night but i think that like you know i have regrets about like you know things that i've that I've done growing up that maybe I shouldn't have done. You know, I've lied to my parents growing up more than I would like to admit. You know, I'm angry, I'm very quick to anger and it's like the biggest weakness that I have. And I've snapped at people that I love and care about and I'm forever gonna be embarrassed by that. But I think you have to wake up and choose to be a good person every day or else you're gonna have to, you know, go to bed at night with things that you regret. Right, that's a very good point. And that's a great way to take that question. I agree with your sentiment completely. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, mm. sh- share a moment from your childhood that you look back on and just cringe. Um. Okay. <laughs> Let me think. I, growing up, oh my God, me, I'm trying to think. There's like things that keep me up at night all the time that I do now, like not even in my childhood. Like, um, oh, growing up, 
I was an overweight kid, so I got bullied for that a lot. And that kind of like builds your character. Cause like, I think that I would not be the kind of person that I am if I'd grown up conventionally attractive. Um, you kind of have to like, you have to like rely on your personality a little bit more. Um, so growing up, like I remember in like sixth grade, I was like just starting to like come into myself a little bit. And I had like gotten this boyfriend who turned out to be like a total like insane person now that like we're adults. But um, in sixth grade, I, I had like, just like got my period and I didn't know and I was wearing like these hot pink American Eagle shorts and I like had just gotten them I was so excited I was like these are my American Eagle shorts I'm 12 I'm moving up in the world you know I don't buy justice clothes anymore and it is so exciting and I like went up to him and I was going to tell this kid that I liked him and I told him that I liked him and then I walked away and I like got on the bus and he didn't say anything and I got on the bus and then I walk all the way home and I get off the bus and then I go home and I get in the bathroom and I realize that there's blood all over the back of my shorts in sixth grade. And it was just like the most mortifying. I never approached that kid um, until like two months later. And I was like, hey, like, hopefully you forgot about that. But I, the, the worst part is that I don't know who else like perceived me that day. So like, it kind of like keeps me up at night. And the fact that like, there's probably like people out there like in my town that like saw me in sixth grade with like a huge like softball size blood stain on the back of my American Eagle shorts. I never wore them again, by the way. I never wore those shorts ever again. No, I wouldn't wear That was a good choice to retire the shorts. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. The next part of the show is a few questions about who you are right now in this moment. All right. So uh, a few quick ones. Would you rather eat in a restaurant alone or eat with a stranger? I would eat alone. I love doing most things alone. Really? Like I, if I had to choose, like if I woke up tomorrow and decided that I wanted to, to go somewhere, my, my perfect Saturday doesn't involve any other person. It doesn't need to. Anything that I like to do generally, I prefer doing alone. Mm. It's not to say that I don't like other people, but I think that I really just, enjoy spending time by myself with my thoughts. Did you ever experience any discomfort uh, since the pandemic has started in the fact that you're alone way more than you used to be? Yes and no. In the beginning of it, for sure, because I think in my early semesters of college, like a big part of like my happiness and like, you know, how I met other people was going out and partying and drinking a lot. And so like when I got sent home, like I didn't have like, I didn't get to go to the bar every weekend. And I was like, it was a big adjustment because I was so isolated with my parents, which love my parents to death, but like getting shut in with people in very uncertain, scary times is does a number on like how well you get along with them. Um, but as the progress, as the pandemic moved forward, I just realized that like most things that I enjoy and find meeting with, I do alone. Like I read by myself, I go thrifting by myself, I, you know, maybe on safely, I go to Facebook marketplace, pick up things by myself. I work out by myself and that's, and I enjoy that. You know, I like being around other people. I hang out with my roommates all the time, but if there's ever a choice, I'm doing it alone. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, some people operate that way. It's not how I operate. So I look at you and I'm really shocked that you can do that because I'm simply the opposite. So it's really interesting. What one object would you sacrifice an organ for? An organ, yeah. I could like give a kidney for, like, can it be an ob, like any object, any object? Presumably one you already own and would be giving up, but any object, yeah. Wait, it's an object that I would give my organs to get? To get or, or keep. 
Ooh, to keep. Um, I would give an organ to get um, an unlimited supply of books. I would give an organ to like, you know, have total access to like any bookstore that I wanted and just pillage as I see fit. That's a good answer. And one I expected. Because um, you'll never be bored. You can never be bored when you have books. You can't. So presumably one day you are in a monogamous relationship. What celebrity would you put on your hallway pass? Pete Davidson. Okay. <laughs> Always, 100% without, I don't even ever think about that. 100%. You think that's going to change in the future? I don't think so. I like have habitually loved greasy, scary looking men since I like went through puberty. Like every, every celebrity crush that I've had is like a little weird looking. Oh my gosh. That's great. What are you most proud of right now? Um, I'm most proud of myself now for taking agency and getting help for my mental health problems. I think I've worked on that a lot this semester and I've like made the appointments and I've like went to the therapy sessions and went to the intake appointments. And that's something that I've never done before. I think I was really comfortable in my misery for a really long time. And this semester, I actually had the confidence to go out and take agency for myself. And that's something I'm really proud of because that is incredibly challenging to do if you've never done it before. Right. So what kind of hurdles did you have to overcome in order to uh, achieve that? Um, kind of going back to like what I said about my father, my, my father are very similar in the fact that we are very emotionally private people. Um, generally, like I'm not super open with my feelings all the time. And it's a source of difficulty for me because I don't particularly enjoy talking about how I feel all the time. It's kind of negative in my opinion. Um, so going to these intake sessions, it's, it's a nightmare for me because I have to like openly express how I feel and like the things that I've gone through in the past, like five or six years. And that's it's incredibly daunting, you know, as a person who like doesn't open up about what they had for breakfast today, like, you know, going back and unraveling your, you know, the issues of your past for a total stranger is incredibly daunting. Mm -hmm. Certainly, yeah. What are you most afraid of right now? I'm most afraid of having, I'm, a, I'm most afraid of not getting the internship that I want this summer, because it dictates my whole entire summer and I will have no other plan if I don't get it. What's the internship? It's a Library of Congress and it has three different projects that I can be assigned to. And I had a scare a couple of weeks ago because my unofficial transcript that I sent in did not verify that I was a current student at UMD. So they were like, we have disqualified your application unless you can send proof that you actually go to UMD. So I was like, oh, wait, can I say that? Can I say, oh, I'll bleep it out. Okay, I was like, oh no, <laughs> I was like, oh no, I have to like figure this out. So I like, I think it's the the Marshall building where you have to go to the office of the registrar and I was like can I please get confirmation that I go here and they were like yeah and I was like can you email it to me and they're like no so I had to reserve a whole day and drive to Staples and get it scanned and sent in um but it was fine and if I don't get it I'll probably you know disintegrate into a pool of tears <laughs> like my co-star told me the other day that I am a constellation of sadness so <laughs> <laughs> my goodness so what do you think this internship can teach you that you need? I think it's kind of like going to give me the experience of working in DC because that's always been like my plan post-graduation is staying in DC. Um, and if I get it, I can hopefully like build the contacts to actually like get a job post-graduation. That's like my biggest like part in my five-year plan right now, just getting employed because that is a challenge in and of itself. Um, but I think that 
you just have to be prepared to take the building steps into the next part of your life, no matter how, you know, far away that may be. Like, I feel like for me, I don't, don't want to operate where I don't know what I'm doing in the next five years. Like, I want to have a plan. I don't want to just operate aimlessly, so. Yeah, okay. So why did you choose your major? You mentioned your love of poetry, but why did you choose it? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing writing and, and reading my whole life, like since I was in kindergarten, they had to like swap my books out for second graders because I like kept going through like, you know, the, the kindergarten books really quickly. And so like they sat my parents down and they're like, she has a gift for this, which is I'm like, cool. But um, I think it's been like the only thing that I've really excelled at deeply in my life. Like um, found out recently that I have a learning disability for math. So like that STEM was out of the equation from the get. It's never gonna happen. So humanities was always something that I was interested in pursuing and I love it very much. Um, so going into college, I always knew that I was going to major in English or something similar. Um, people will dog on you all the time that you have a major in humanities if it's not business or STEM. But I kind of like try to pose it to people like this. You have people in STEM who are brilliant and can do all the math and can build a building, but they can't write a letter or a business email and that will be their downfall every single time. And they pay people to do that for them. So if nothing else, I can rely on the inability of STEM people to write an email for em employment <laughs> in the future. That's great. <laughs> uh, so I like to dedicate a part of every show to talking about the University of Maryland. Okay. Because the show is all about UMD students. We mentioned, we talked about why you came to UMD. Um, but do you like the school? What do you like about UMD? Um. I like the campus, like fancied, I fancied many a night walks um, throughout the campus and I've found a lot of enjoyment in that. I think it's kind of nice right now to be at UMD and it's just like so quiet and it's weird, but I, it's, it's kind of refreshing. Cause like, if you were to like take a walk on campus at like 4 PM on a Wednesday, you're going to like run into like thousands of people like going about their lives and stuff, but kind of we're living in a weird period where everything is kind of disjointed and paused. So just to kind of experience that on campus and also, you know, Maryland is a really cool community of a lot of different people. And I think that you can never find that at a small school. I always knew that I wanted to go to a Big Ten school. Um, so, you know, when I came here, I kind of had the expectation of where can I find my place in like this huge fishbowl of people. And I found, I feel like I've been able to do that. That's great. Now, at least my freshman year, and I'm sure there were some ripple effects to your freshman year. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of scrutiny and controversy around the administration. There yeah. Was, um, scandal after scandal, after issue after issue. Um, do you see UMD in a very critical light or do you see more positives? I think it's easy to criticize any, any big institution because at the end of the day, they are motivated by different reasons than they will state on paper. Like, I think that you know, especially before I came here, I remember, um, I believe it was Jordan McNair who died um, the summer before I came here um, from heat stroke on the football team, which is incredibly tragic, tragic and horrible. Um, and I remember kind of going into that and, and thinking it kind of gave me a disjointed view on the administration because it's like, you know, you have your athletes who are like the backbone of like your college because college sports are everything for Big Ten schools. So it's like to see an athlete die like in you know the hands of people who are supposed to like make sure that they're hydrated and eating right and, and living in a good place and, and coming to practice it's, it was really unnerving to see but I think that 
you look at any college in the in the United States and you're going to see similar problems you know like no college is exempt from fault and the missteps that they've done you know especially with like campus sexual assault if you report that like college sexual assault numbers like on any case and on any campus are this much nobody's going to want to go there so the administration has a duty of making sure that people keep coming to their school and then also trying to do right by all the people they have in their ear so i feel like it's easy to criticize them but also i don't know what i would do if i was in their shoes because it's a big it's really easy to talk talk the talk and and criticize people but at the end of the day it's like what would you do, you know, if your livelihood and the way that you feed your kids relied on this job and you have to do, you know, the best solution that you can give for the people who are funding the school and making donations and, and the students and the families. It's, it's a lot bigger issue than I think people tend to think. What would you change about this school? Anything? I feel like um, I'm a member of PSA and just the stories that you hear from 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 women and also men on this campus about the way that they were dismissed um, with their sexual assaults is really, really frightening, um, you know, because the statistic, the older you get, um, especially as a college woman, the one in five, that becomes really real when you move through college and your friends and people you love and care about are being hurt and violent, horrible things are happening to them. And nothing ultimately is getting done, you know, rapists still walk this campus you know that's an ugly reality that I think everyone is aware of in some way but I feel like people have to recognize the fact that like college sexual assault is a huge problem and the more you try to sweep it under the rug and dismiss it and and not put it you know out for the public to see if they want to send their kid to your institution because like you know these are the statistics for it you know it will only get worse. It will only get worse the longer you don't address the big elephant in the room, so to speak. Is this the best path for you right now? To be here? To be at Maryland, to be where you are. I think so. Um, I can't see myself, you know, and a big reason that I came here too is because of DC. I knew that I wanted to live in DC and work in DC and get a job in DC, be a young professional in DC. And I think that coming here is a really good way to do that without blowing yourself into debt post-graduation. You go to Georgetown or any other college in DC and you're gonna be paying like $80,000 a year. You're staying in the same area when you come to UMD, but you're just like 30 minutes from DC and you can get all the same jobs, you know? So I think that for me being here, there is no other place for me, whether or not I have problems with the school or not, there's no other place. Right. What is it about DC? What calls you? It's just like, you know, the architecture, the history, the the diverse group of people that are there beyond like the, the rich yuppie culture of like people getting brunch every Sunday in DC at these expensive, beautiful restaurants. But I think that there's just something so unique about DC that you can't find in New York or San Francisco. And there's just so many young, motivated people who like want to make a name for themselves that aren't, you know, actors or, or artists necessarily. There's politicians, there's cool, you know, people that want to, you know, document history in, in the Library of Congress. There's people who are lawyers. There's so many motivated people that come to DC that isn't necessarily in an art and cultural way. And I think that's really cool to see. So moving on to the next part of the show, mm. we're going to talk about some ideals. Okay. What does the perfect version of yourself look like? She's successful and 
she does not care what anybody else has to say about the things that she does in her life. And I try to operate that way um, now, but that is a much bigger task and mo so much easier to say than, than though. Um, Cause right now, you know, I am comfortably in the financial realm with my parents. And right now a lot of uh, my success re revolves on making them happy and, and paying off their investment, so to speak. Um, but in five years, I hope that I have an apartment that makes me happy. I have, you know, all the bookcases that I could ever want. Maybe a partner in there someplace, maybe not. It, it, that romantic relationships have never been a part of like my soul searching and happiness. Like fulfillment has always been most importantly with myself because at the end of the day, whether or not you get married or have kids, like you will be the person to go to sleep with you at the end of the night, you know, cause that's just who you are. You're gonna be in your head for the rest of your life. So you might as well make it a good one. Right. So a lot of people, when they enter their third year of college or so, um, they start thinking about their long-term partner and dating people only if they can see them in their life long-term and if they work with their plan. So yeah. is that a part of your mindset when you date? If you jump in, if you start seeing someone and they hate DC, they hate- I think yeah, well, that's a good question. And I think that's, that's an important thing to consider. I've always been kind of a type A person in the sense that like, I'm deeply creative, but at the end of the day, I'm a brutal realist. Like I try to be as realistic as I can in any situation, probably to a fault in, in turns into pessimism. Um, but I think that when you're looking for somebody in the long term, they have to, they have to be compatible with your long-term goals. You know, there are things that are immovable about relationships like politics or religion or having children. There are things that are unmovable that you have to agree on in order to have a successful relationship. And, you know, when you're going into your early twenties and you're just trying to make it on your own, you don't really have the room to maneuver your life around the, the benefit of other people, of other people. Like if I was going to date somebody and they say, I want to move to Seattle and I'm like, cool, that's great. And I love you, but I can't follow you. You know, I'm not a romantic in that way. I love people. I love life, but it has to be me first. Always has to be me first. Yeah. You're your number one partner. And that's that at the end of the day, I think I'll be happy when I find an equal who views, views themselves in the same way. Like I'm not looking for somebody to have ownership of me. And I think that's like, you know, a really big thing about people dating in their 20s is that a lot of men seek to date somebody they can own or possess or take to parties and corporate holiday gatherings or whatever. But I know I will be happy when I find somebody who views me truly as their equal and not just as their spouse. Do you keep that in mind when you date now or are you not? I'm not dating. I'm not dating right now. I'm not really interested in dating right now, um, kind of for the similar reasons that I've just expressed to you. Um, Maryland is big on hookup culture and that's such as the nature of any Big Ten school that parties a lot. Maryland's values with their students deeply lie in having a good time, which is fine. And I also like having a good time, but I think that I'm not in the phase of my life now, maybe before the pandemic, definitely, but not anymore. I feel like I spent a lot of time with myself and I've spent a lot of time being alone and I'm comfortable in that for now until I find somebody who also has similar values to me. So moving on to the final part of the show, we're going to go into our humanity questions. Okay, let's do it. Um, so it's funny that we just ended on that note because we're going to bring it back up again. Have you ever been in love? Uh, yes, once. What did it feel like when you were in the moment? When I was in love, 
it's weird now because I think that who I am in love is a very different person than like who I am, you know, expressing this to you now. Um, I'm so much softer when I'm like actually in love and in a relationship. And I've been in like other relationships like since that, but I'm very soft and I feel a lot of things, which is not in my general character. Like I am feeling like I have emotions. I'm not, you know, an Android, but I think that like when I'm in love, people have the ability to bring the softer side out of me, which isn't generally on display. What is the angriest you have ever been? I think the angriest I've ever been um, was when I found out that I got cheated on for the last time before I left. And he blocked me on everything for six months and didn't talk to me and then never even apologized. And the last time that I saw him before he blocked me, I was like, did you, you know, cheat on me? And he said, yes. And then I kicked him out of my car and then he blocked my number and disappeared off the face of the earth for six months. So I had to come to, conc- I had to come and get my own closure by myself. And that was a really pivotal moment in my teenage years moving into my adulthood. Cause like, again, I kind of learned that the only person that you can ever really rely on hundred percent is yourself always. And I've never felt rage like that. I've never felt betrayal like that in my life. And I hope I never feel it again because I don't like myself when I'm angry because I don't think clearly. How do you process those kinds of emotions when you don't get to have a closure conversation? I think that a lot of my healing came from journaling. I'm big into journaling and I was more so in my early teenage years than now. Um, it's funny that you that this came up because I was looking at my journal from when I was 15 or 16 and I wrote every single day about like my life and like on the weekends I would write what I did on the weekends with such excruciating detail and like that journal like was the person that I needed it to be when I didn't have somebody to to say those words to because I feel like as vulnerable as I can be with other people, I can't get there unless like there's not like a receiving end of the party. So like when I'm writing it down in a journal, I'm processing it, I'm grieving, I'm angry. Um, and I can just say how I feel freely without, you know, the threat of coming off as like a bad person or like too emotional or like not emotional enough. Having an impartial party in that scenario was everything because I could just say like all the hatred and, and the grief that I felt and I was able to move through that. Great. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of journaling, as you know. I <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me about a time you forgave someone. Um, I let me think. Something like major. I don't know, because at the end of the day, like I don't know if I've forgiven like the people who have truly hurt me the most in my life. Like I don't know. Like I think that I can move on, and I have a life, and I'm happy in my life, and I have a lot of things going for me. But like the things that have happened to me in my life, I think like those scars are permanent and they will be there forever. And I don't know if forgiveness really is everything. Like, I feel like people don't owe anybody else forgiveness if like the damage is extreme enough. Like, you know, I'm going to forgive somebody if they like step on my foot, like at a concert or like, you know, if they like eat my toast, like (laughs) in the apartment or like, you know, if somebody hits my car, I'll forgive them. But like, things that like I have to deal with for the rest of my life I don't know if the things or the people that have caused those scars necessarily deserve forgiveness interesting answer um do you believe that when do you believe that you can forgive someone and not tell them have you ever like in turn like when you make peace with something do you feel like that might be an equivalent to forgiving or are they different things 
I think that acceptance and forgiveness are two different things. I think I can come to terms with the things that have happened in my life and the pain that I've endured. And I can accept that they've happened, but I don't think that like forgiveness and acceptance necessarily are the same thing. I think forgiveness is an act that involves two people understanding like where the other is coming from. I think that acceptance is a solitary act. And it's something that like I prefer because like at the end of the day, like what's done is done and saying whether or not you feel bad about it doesn't really absolve the situation for what it was. When do you feel most joyful? I feel most joyful when I have agency to do whatever I want, whenever I want. So on a weekend where I have the whole day to myself and I want to figure out what can I do um, and I make those decisions and having agency is everything to me. I love making my own decisions. I love being independent. Um, I love deciding when I'm going to do things, when I want to do them. If I don't want to do them, I don't do them. Um, I think I find a lot of joy, again, in being alone, being outside, reading a good book um, up really late at night and you get that post book euphoria and you close the book. And you just sit there and those are my favorite moments. Or, you know, if I've written something that I particularly enjoy and then I'm, and I'm proud of it and I, and I sit there with, you know, that grace and that, you know, self-fulfillment and it's just like the most powerful feeling in the world. Yeah. It sounds like that's a big motivator for you, like seeking that agency. So you bust your, bust your butt to, um, get those moments because luckily in this time in college we have more time we have more agency to do that but um at 22 or 23 that just kind of drops off and there's more people telling you what to do I think like my ideal life is having a job where people don't bother me like you know I don't care I don't care you know people will have like these team bonding meetings and I don't really care about that I'm like I can do my job and do it well my ideal career is where people trust me enough to do that and do it well and not bother me in the process. There's a, um, um, I don't know if it's a video, a TikTok or something, but it was this person with like green hair and um, like tattoos and everything. And what they said was, um, I am so good at what I do that I can look however I want. And that mm -hmm. feels like a similar sentiment. Yeah. I as good as I can be so I can do what I want. I can act how I want. Yeah. I, th I think your ability to just communicate what you want and being good at a certain things, you know, because I, I don't claim to be good at everything. I'm certainly not good at everything, but I think that people who are a master of all are also a master of none and they don't have anything going for them if you have all these things that you're kind of good at and that, you know, you can maybe do something with, but when you have that one thing that you know that you love and that you are good at, it will carry you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. So what is something that you wish everyone could understand about you? I wish that everyone could understand that just because I'm not expressively super emotional does not mean that I am unfeeling. I think that I'm a very private person generally with how I feel and that I think that people can kind of misconstrue that is that I am unfeeling or that I don't care. And I think that the way that I approach problems are similar because you know, somebody entrusts me with like a, a problem that they're having. My emotional response in my brain is not, you know, come here and like, let me hug you and let me give you all this empathy. I, I think of how can I solve this for them and how can I like take that for them, you know, not necessarily emotionally, but if there's something that I can do to fix a problem, I will do it. I'm so dedicated to the people that I love. And I think that sometimes people can mis misinterpret the way that I think in my brain as unfeeling. Which is not which is not true at all. 
Well, that's all the questions we have. That was so fun. I hope I hope that that was usable. <laughs> um, certainly is. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Audrey. Um, Thanks. It's fun being have, here. Do you have anything you want to promote? Any projects you work on? Um, anything like that? Um, I think just, you know, if anybody's listening out there, definitely check it up, check out PSA. Um, it's an amazing organization on campus that helps the most vulnerable people. And I cannot, you know, promote it enough. Um, well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Meet Your Neighbor with Madeline Redding. Meet Your Neighbor is originally broadcasted on Thursdays at 10 p.m. on WMUC. To hear more of the University of Maryland's student-run freeform radio station, visit wmuc.umd.edu or download our app, WMUC Radio.